I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the prophecy of Ezekiel, to chapter 37. This morning we'll study verses 1 through 6. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 6. This prophecy was given for the sake of the encouragement of the household of Israel as they were in Babylon, held in captivity, and depressed. And so this morning I want you to know this passage is to encourage hopeless people. Let us read the word of God. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, They were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. May he bless us to receive its truth. Let's pray together. God of heaven, there are none like you in the heavens above or in the earth below. You alone are God. You alone are all-powerful. You are the author of life. Oh Lord, you have the power to undo and to banish death. We give praise to you, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the Regenerator of life. Lord, as we study your word this morning, we ask for your help. Help us to understand it to receive it, and to benefit from the sound of your voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, do you know this passage of Scripture? For me, it's one that really sticks in my memory. I can't recall the first time I heard this passage read or the first time I read it. I think, at least, it's probably that I heard it read or preached maybe before I could read. And it's the imagery that you have in this passage of Scripture. And 
I remember being a child and hearing this passage and it making my heart tremble a little bit. This is a passage that talks about a a valley of dead bones. This isn't just the bones of animals. This is the bones of the household of Israel. And it's it's a significant passage. And as you go on, there there's even more. Those bones begin to rattle and they begin to stand on feet and they begin to be covered by sinews and flesh and then they live. And if that doesn't get your attention, adults, it certainly has probably gotten the attention of the children in the room. Skeletons being brought up and having meat and flesh cover them. It's a picture and it's intended to grab our attention. But people have asked the question, what's the point of this passage? What's going on here? And one of the things I want to tell you this morning is that it's actually not a prophecy about physical bodily resurrection. Physical bodily resurrection is the hope of every Christian, most certainly. Uh, This is also not uh, a prophecy about the end times. You may be saying, but pastor, come on. How can you know? Well, friends, I want you to be good Bible readers. And I want to point you to the reality that chapter 36 comes before chapter 37. This has context. And the context is what? Well, it is the telling of the new covenant. And so if you just look right up the page from where we just read, chapter 36, verses 22 through 26. I want to give you the context here. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is speaking about the conversion of the hearts of sinful men and women and children. The context here has to do with the salvation of the household a faith. But I also want to tell you that it's not just chapter 36 that is the context. Again, this has historical context. Of course it does. This is a word given through Ezekiel, a prophet, to the people of Israel who were where at this time? They were in bondage. They were in exile under the hand of the Babylonians. They're, they're not at home. And they're not just one generation removed, but several. And it's a hardship and it's a discouragement. And so this word comes to them. 
This is, as it were, a Sunday sermon for the encouragement of the saints, if you understand my meaning. Some of the people of Israel may have been wondering, will we ever go back home? Will we ever go to our father's graves again? Will we ever worship in the temple again? Will we ever be restored? Or will we forever be a people lost, scattered, and in a nation not our own, ruled over by ungodly rulers? And so friends, this is a message concerning the restoration of God for His people. This is a word today for hopeless Christians living in a hostile world. So the three things I want us to see in verses 1 and 2, firstly, the terrible reality. Verses 1 and 2, the terrible reality. In verse 3, the profound question. The profound question, verse 3. And then in verses 4 through 6, the prophesied promise. The prophesied promise. And so if you look at verse 1, we have the beginning of this prophecy. And specifically, here is Ezekiel, and he is describing this vision uh, that the Lord gave to him. Just to encourage you and remind you just once again, Ezekiel's a preacher. Okay, He is, yes, a, a prophet, but his prophecies, they're not just written in a book, they're preached from a pulpit for the sake of the hearts of God's people. And so that's why it's recorded here. But here's what he says. He tells about this vision, this prophecy that the Lord lays upon his heart. He says that the hand of the Lord was upon me. And, and that's big language, really. It's, it's saying that God was dealing with him. It's spiritual language. Like the Lord in heaven reached down through the clouds and through all of creation and dealt with them. The hand of the Lord was upon me, directing him like the hand of a father directs a son or a daughter. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it's the language of a vision. That the Lord is doing a spiritual thing in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's brought out and taken to a place. This is a, a simple way of saying the Lord gave me a vision. And you see the vision is unique and it's described here in, in significant detail. And it's that detail which is so wonderful. But I just want to say it's, it's a trip that he takes him on. He's going somewhere. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a journey almost in this vision, as if he and his body goes with the Lord at his side to a place. He says that the Lord set me down in the middle of a valley, or the valley, and that it was full of bones. Now, I don't know about you, but occasionally I have dreams. Do anybody else have dreams? Dreams that keep you up at night? I have anxiety dreams, just confession, and that's laid on the table for you. Dreams that make me wake up and I think, did I leave my Bible on top of the car as I left to go to the service on Sunday? That's always a preacher's nightmare, losing his sermon notes somewhere on the Audubon. 
Dreams can be disturbing, and this is a dream, as it were, a vision. It's, it's not a dream when he's sleeping, but it's a, a spiritual vision that the Lord does with him. But he, he takes him up, and there's realism to it. And where does he take him? He takes him to the valley that's full of dry bones. And I don't know about you, but if I were to be asleep at night having a visual dream... And all of a sudden, I'm on a trip, and then I'm dropped down in the middle of a valley of bones. It'd be pretty terrifying. It'd be at least startling, especially if they're human bones. Um, you know, some bones maybe I could take. Human bones—that's a whole different thing entirely. But that's what's here described. And I want you to see the the rhythm and the the pace of the way in which this is described. He comes to the valley. The valley is full of bones. And in verse 2, he led me around among them. And so the picture is quite simple. It's, it's like the Lord holding the prophet's hand and he's just walking with him. But is he walking with him in a green valley? In a garden? In a, a place of blessedness with fruit trees bearing fruit in season? No, it's... He's leading them around on a stroll through bones and piles of bones. Stacks of skulls. Pits of finger bones. Toe bones. Leg bones. Jaw bones. Teeth. Skulls staring back with no eyes. It's terrifying. And here's God, and He's holding the hand of the prophet in the midst of the vision. And He's walking along with Him through this place. This place that looks as if an army was defeated many, many, many years ago within its hold. And it's a morbid scene. You can almost think of it. You know, you're walking through and Maybe you can imagine for a second the sound of the crunching of the bones beneath the feet, the accidental kicking of something roughly the shape of a soccer ball but made of bone. It's terrifying. And it's significant. And it's intended for your mind to go there and for you to think about it and to put yourself in the feet and on the path of the prophet to make an impression. And so we can even read and get a sense, a feel, for how Ezekiel was affected by this vision. He says not only that he led, that God led him around among the bones, but behold, there were many on the surface of the valley. He's saying, wow! There's so many bones here. There's stacks and there's mounds. And he's shocked and it grips him and he almost doesn't know what to say. He's just, behold, as he's startled with it. And then you continue to read and we have a little bit more of his response and his reaction to it. And he says, and behold, they were very dry. Lots of old dusty, dry bones from a battle long ago fought, long ago lost, lives long ago laid down and people slain. 
This is not just days or weeks or months, but years after the carrion birds come to pick the meat from the bones, there's nothing left. To hear the wind whistle through the valley would just be like wind chimes of human remains. And it's startling. And it's intended to be startling. And it seems that Ezekiel is startled. And you may be wondering, what in the world is going on here? Is this a horror movie within the Bible? This is strange. This isn't the sort of thing that you're used to, the sort of thing you would expect from the biblical account. What's going on here? Is it just something strange, morbid and dark? This is God showing Ezekiel the terrible reality of what he could not see with physical eyes. He's showing him a depiction of the spiritual state of Israel. It's dead, long dead, and dried up of any spiritual life. If you recall the history of the people of Israel, there's a reason why they're taken into exile, isn't it? It's a heart that's fallen cold to the Lord. Their worship wasn't faithful. The word wasn't read and preached. The people didn't follow the law. The people didn't worship the Lord in sincerity, just in basic ceremony. The kings were unrighteous. The priests were themselves corrupt and wicked. And so the people were overwhelmed because it was safer for them to be under the hand of a foreign king. It was really quite staggering. They had been a people of a dry and a dead spirituality. They, they had been a people of faithlessness. They had been a people still before the Lord because of the lack of life. You may ask the question, why is he showing him this. Pastor, I hear you. I'm going along with you. It's the terrible reality. It's the spiritual state. That's okay. But why? Why do we always have to talk about the bad news? Why does it always have to be something like this? Well, friends, I think it's because maybe Ezekiel's tendency and our tendency to imagine that things are not as spiritually dire or serious as they really are. Maybe Ezekiel is getting comfortable amongst the Babylonians in this great kingdom and empire of the ancient world. Comfortable even among their paganism, though he's not part of their number, though he is a man that serves the Lord, still he's okay there. He doesn't long for Zion. Maybe this is actually all okay And maybe the people of Israel are comfortable in the godless society that they live in and they've lost urgency and they don't even think on or hope for a return to Israel or reconciliation uh, with their God. They just have forgotten. And this is the Lord showing him things are not all well. It is a terrible reality. The wages of sin are death. 
The people of Israel are dead, not just sick, not just displaced, not just in exile. They're a people dead spiritually before the Lord, their God. They're like these bones on the valley ground. Wake up! Is what's being said. This should frighten you. Is what ought to be felt. His heart's supposed to pound in his chest. So that he could turn in urgency. Knowing the state of the people that he's called to care for. Are you comfortable Are you comfortable in Stuttgart? Are you comfortable in your life? Are you comfortable in a world that openly denies the truth of the gospel of Jesus? Even more broadly than just the morality of the teaching of the Bible, the gospel is denied. Christ is denied. Are you comfortable in the place in which you live? Are your ears so used to hearing the songs of death come over the radio waves that you're no longer affected by it and you just don't even think and you don't long for the kingdom of heaven? Moreover, you don't even look at the world around you soberly. Well, it's just the culture of the day. It's just the spirit among us now. God said it's deadness and death. Long since dead. Christians wake up. In verse 3, we progress because it doesn't end with the Lord just leading them around in the midst of the dry bones. And in verse 3, there is the profound question. And you see the Lord turning, as it were, to Ezekiel and asking him a very simple question. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? What a question. Son of man, can these bones live? Little boys, little girls, it's like me coming to your house and you've had a nice chicken dinner. And I go into your house and I look after you've all finished all of the food and there's nothing but a pile of bones left. And I ask, little boys, little girls... How about that chicken? Can we go toss it in the yard and will it run around and eat some worms and be a chicken again? Can these bones live? Oh, it's an enormous question. It's a profound question and it's to Him. And the Lord is pressing His conscience. And the only way that I think I can even remotely begin to process this is if I, if I put myself in a situation in his shoes, like where he's standing, and I think about myself surrounded by the dead, dry bones. Can these bones live as I look out and that's all I see? It's just mounds of destruction, waste, and death. And I might be tempted to think, and maybe even to respond. I think this is probably how I would respond. Well, they did once, O Lord. I know that's true at least, O Lord. Those bones came from living people at one point in time and now they're awfully dead. Maybe. But you see, if the eye sees and we understand things from what we see, the mind ought to think, at least according to ourselves, well, these things, these bones, they're not just sick. 
They're not people laid up in a hospital or a doctor's office. I mean, they're not even freshly dead. This isn't a city morgue, right? This isn't a funeral home. No, no, no. The, these bones have been there a long time. I mean, it's, I can't just think to myself, well, maybe they can live again. Maybe the doctor didn't get it right. Maybe they're just sleeping really hard. They only sort of look dead. I mean, no, it's, it's one skeleton mixed with the next. One skull sitting atop a talus bone to which it does not belong, a jawbone next to a spinal vertebrae. And in my mind and in my heart, to answer the question, I would have to simply say something like this. They're lifeless and there's no amount of blood transfusions that we can squeeze into these bones that have no veins. There's no amount of organ transplant that we can do to these skeletons that have no skin. There's not enough defibrillators. Do you know what those things are? You know, it's in the doctor shows where they shock you back to life. You can't shock these bones enough. These things are indisputably dead. Nothing that we can do is going to do much for them. To answer the question of my own and with my mind and with my eyes, oh Lord, can these bones live? If I'm honest in myself, I'm going to say something like, I don't think so. I don't think so. So on the one hand, it's obvious. According to those bones, there's no chance they're getting up. According to my power, there's no chance those bones are going to get up. There's no life I can give them. I can hope for it all day long, but it doesn't seem to be the case. And when we see things like this and we look on the world around us and we, when we know the deadness of the world or the deadness of bones, what can we end up in? Now we could say there's no hope of life. You just end up in despair. And friends, I think sometimes you and I can fall into that, can't we? We look around, we think of things going on in the world, we think of things going on in our own hearts, we think of things going on in the church more broadly, and we just simply throw our hands up and say, well, it's a hopeless age. What can be done? We just need to hang on and cling to the truth and ride it out all the way down. A hopelessness. I just want to ask you, Christian, you ever feel hopeless? You ever feel hopeless about the state of the world? Hopeless about the state of Germany? Hopeless about Stuttgart? Hopeless about the lost? And you think, he, she, they are just too hard, too dark, too desperate to be saved. There's no hope. Listen to how he talks. It's just death breathed out. No hope. Do you ever feel that way? Hopeless? That's not what Ezekiel said. He didn't look around and say, Lord, like Pastor Nick might say, it's hopeless. Look at how he responds in verse 4. I love his answer. It's honest and it's Holy, he says to the question of son of man, can these bones live? He says, oh, Lord God, you know. 
He's saying, Lord, the question isn't with me. It's not with what I can do or what I think about these things, Lord. It's up to you. (laughs) The power's in your hands, O Lord. You can do it if you please. If they have any hope of living, it will be your doing. He says because he's walking next to the author of life, in essence, yes, Lord, they can live if you want them to. It's not hopeless, Christian. It's not hopeless. You have a God that can call dead, dry bones to life. It's not hopeless. We have a mission here in this city, in our neighborhood, with our friends for life because we have a living God, not because we have the power to cause people to live. Don't fall into hopelessness over the sin and the spiritual deadness of the world. You have a living God who has promised new life. Verses 4 through 6, we have the promise or the prophesied promise. And this is as the Lord responds to, Oh Lord God, you know. Verse 4, then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Wow, this is wonderful what he says. Can the dry bones live? Oh, Lord, you know. And the Lord says, okay, preacher, preach to the bones. That's what he means when he says prophesy. Speak this word over them. And the word isn't complex. It's wonderful. You don't have to wonder, well, what sermon did he preach? Did he preach pastor's sermon from last Sunday or this Sunday or maybe one ten times better than our pastor can preach? No, here's the message. Here's what he tells him to preach. And it's a message of new life. Look at what he says. He says, say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word. Thus says the Lord, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. It's the promise of God that he tells him to preach and to prophesy. It's the promise of God for life. Notice that first phrase. He says, bones hear. Do bones have ears? No. In case you're unsure about that fact. The bones generally hear things. No, not unless they're made to live. God promises life that they will have breath to enter and that they will live with life. And in verse 6, that he will lay sinews upon those bones. And now we get to the really scary picture of it all. And he's going to cause flesh to then come over those sinews. And he's going to cover them with skin. So they're sort of like a person reverse engineered up from the bones of the ground. 
what was once dead will now live. That's the message, that's the prophecy and the promise of life. He's saying this, tell them that the Lord is powerful to give you new life and you will live because He will do it. It's God's doing. Just in case you've had any confusion up until this point, whenever the Lord tells him to prophesy, to preach, it's not the preaching that gives the life. The Lord's just pleased to use that. No, he says, preach and tell them, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. This promise doesn't rely upon some sort of magical preaching or some sort of stylistic efficacy, effectiveness. It has to do with the love and the power of God who is pleased to work through his word. What's the point? What do I want to bring to you this morning? God has promised to bring dead people to life. And he alone has power to do it. God has promised and given a promise to all the world that if they would know his son, they would live and never perish. It's his promise. There is a promise of life given freely and generally to all people that He will restore, that He will revive, and that He will regenerate, that He will give new life. It's His doing. What does He call us to do? How does this all happen? Does it just happen miraculously? Certainly it is miraculous. It is in response to His Word and His promise being shared taught, preached, spoken over with coffee, sincerely shared lovingly over the phone. Person to person, friend to friend, co-worker to co-worker, stranger on the street to one another. The Word of God being shared from the lips of the people of God to the ears of people who are dead in sin. Friend, if you've ever wondered if there's any hope for that person in your life who you know and you think, I've shared the gospel 10,000 times, I've told them 10,000 different things that they should do, or maybe they've been through this program, that program, all of these different things of how to get your life right, and you think it's hopeless, I want to tell you this morning it's not. Keep sharing the promise of the gospel with them. Who gives life? God does. Who breathes breath into dead bodies? God does. Who restores, regenerates, renews? God does. We don't live in a hopeless age and neither did Ezekiel. We have a God who is the God of life and who promises it to any who would hear his word and receive it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures and for their teaching, Lord, for the hope that is within them. 
Father in heaven, help us, I pray, to know what we have received if we have received Christ. Oh Lord, help us to be a people not hopeless, Lord, but a people hopeful, a people who base everything off of your promises that are yes and amen and that always come to fulfillment. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.